Welcome to the Culture Moments Podcast, a global conversation on diversity, equity, inclusion, and culture. Each episode will bring you experts, stories, and insights that will shine a light on the many ways organizations are building the mindsets, skills, and systems to succeed in a culturally diverse world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Culture Moments podcast. I'm Tanya Stanfield with LCW, and today we're continuing our Around the World in 20 Years journey with Carol Watson, the Chief Inclusion Officer at global communications agency BCW. LCW began working with Carol through our partnership with Diversity Best Practices and Working Mother Media, where she was at the time a Senior Director of Global Advisory and Consulting. There, she was responsible for advising and consulting 200-plus mid-to-large-size organizational leaders at all levels on how to best leverage proven and innovative diversity initiatives and sustainable culture change strategies. Carol also co-founded the marketing and media industry initiative Inclusive 100 with She Runs It, which brings together the advertising, media, and marketing ecosystem to benchmark workforce, workplace, and inclusive culture progress and share best practices with 30-plus marketing organizations participating quarterly. Carol Watson has a deep understanding of the business approach to embedding inclusion and the metrics-driven practices of building and nurturing a truly inclusive organization. We talk quite a bit about this in our conversation, how DEI is both an art and a science, and how in this innovative DEI landscape, having a baseline understanding of this art and science is still super critical. I think you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, thank you, Carol, for joining us today. How are you doing? My pleasure. It's great to be here. I'm excellent. Great to have you. So we first want to start things off by learning a little bit about you. You know, I know you've been in this DEI space for quite a while. So tell us a little bit about your journey into this field. Yeah, so my journey is a bit non-straight. It's very crooked and circuitous. My journey is uh, marketer passionate about consumer behavior and had a a career in media on the marketing side and shifted to really focus on executive search, multicultural talent in the marketing industry, because I saw the shifts in the demographics very clearly and and quickly and was uh, surprised that people weren't paying as much attention to it in 2008. 2009, the the census that came out in 2010. And I I knew something was coming down, you know, so between the tsunami of how people consume media shifted while the demographics changed quite quickly. So went from doing that unconscious bias training and IDI certification to really trying to figure out why things had not changed. So what I heard from senior leaders is that, you know what, we don't know what to do. So that's what sent me on a journey to get a master's in organizational development late in my life to really uh, get a sense of what do we need to do? What's the science of organizational behavior and, and change and design? And why are we getting this wrong as organizations? So that's the, the short of the long story. And once you, you know, received that degree and you were inspired to change the trajectory of your path and sort of solve this problem, what was the next step in your path after that? Yeah, so I went from being a a business owner doing this as a consultant and I wanted to kind of dig in and see 
what the landscape looked like for other companies. So I joined Diversity Best Practices as an advisor and, and a consultant to really see what the best practices are, see what other companies are doing. So I uh, was a beneficiary of an opportunity to go from working with 120 companies to 200 plus across every industry from small to some from thousand people size companies up to two millions, the, the Walmarts of the world, the Bank of Americas of the world, to really see what they're challenged with, who's doing this well, which is the question everyone always wants to know. And what are some of the, the things that are still tripping us up? So it was a, a great experience over the for three or four years where I, while I was there to really dig in deep trying to solve all of those challenges in big and small across uh, the landscape. But then I wanted to kind of play in my own sandbox. So I joined BCW, which is a global integrated communications firm uh, with offices globally. I joined in January, this past January, 2021. And it has been an, an incredible, unbelievable ride, especially for people that do this work. 2020 will go down in history is one that both challenged uh, all of us that do this work, uh, as well as really required a lot of pivoting and creative solution problem solving, but also really raised awareness for the importance and the value of this work. Yeah, we're going to definitely dig into that a little bit later. So you talked a little bit about this, but tell me where you started crossing paths with LCW and the nature of your partnership with them. Sure. So while I was at Diversity Best Practices, people call us for everything. It's a membership-based system, and they call us for solutions. Not only best practices, but how can you help us get that done? And so one of the things that I dug into was uh, a service that we offered called uh, Solutions, uh, DBP Solutions. And we work with different vendors and, and suppliers that dig in deep for companies that we can make recommendations for. And we're very particular about who we choose as a partner because we, our reputation and our name is on the line and people trust us uh, to have vetted those organizations in a very powerful way. So my introduction to LCW was that they were already a partner, one that was one of our, our, our most um, popular because of so many things that we loved LCW for. So we were able to incorporate them in many of our member conferences to share um, not only solutions, but the best practices and case studies and examples, which companies uh, were craving. So when you think about, you know, sort of this partnership that you had with LCW, are there any unique highlights or stories that come to mind? Yeah. So there, there were so many different companies that leveraged LCW in a very positive way. Some really, really great stories. I guess the ones that come to mind for me are two different things. So as I was mentioning, the member conferences were very powerful. And the one that is a gift that kept giving was just, we were doing one on talent and the talent life cycle. And people want to know where in the talent life cycle are we getting it wrong? How do we do this right? And one of the highlights for me was having Monica come and share and give people a really good sense where bias is showing up in the talent life cycle and really walking people through where they are on the maturity um, path and wh where they can get tripped up in all of the talent life cycle processes. And it was 
so illuminating and it's a go-to Bible of a process that we would always take companies through because there is not one single company that is not challenged in the talent life cycle somewhere along the way, whether it's recruiting or sourcing or hiring or developing, advancing, there's something that you need to really dissect, unpack and really re-engineer through training and development and, and structural changes to make sustainable progress. So really being able to handhold companies in a very powerful ways was something that was a gift that keeps giving, that continued people continued to ask for, that was incredibly valuable in their point of view and the resources and services provided. And then the one client that stands out for me, I'm a collector of marketing missteps for companies. And the one that stands out for me very much so was the Unilever Dove campaign where the black girl turns into a white girl. I think everybody remembers or knows about that one. And it was one that really resonated globally and really was meaningful for anyone that either touches the work of marketing or is a customer and consumer and wants to know how does that happen? How do we get that wrong? And, and how, does, how does that even show up? And so one of our favorite clients at the time was Unilever, Mita Malik, who was really, really a smart marketer, came in and really wanted to work through what's getting in the way of that. How do we really um, think about this from a marketing perspective and, and really tackle, uh, tackle that issue? And the introduction of Mita to LCW to really think about um, that key group of marketers and, and the ecosystem of marketing and really walk them through the Black experience, walk them through where not only just how bias can get in the way, but where we need to interrupt that, how, what does creative look like that, that needs to be shifted and needs to be fixed. I was excited to be able to introduce LCW and really rave about the thoughtfulness the, the intelligence and professionalism of dissecting that unique challenge and how they could customize and create something that can have uh, so much power around the world to so many different people. So I was particularly proud of how that relationship evolved, how they continued to dig into different demographic groups and really expand their relationship, not only in North America, but around the globe to educate everyone that touches the work around how to think differently about it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Unilever and Mita Malik have been such amazing partners to us. So that's, that's one of our favorite stories too. Let's shift gears a little bit and you started talking about this a little earlier in the conversation, but let's talk about this year and talk about, you know, someone like yourself who has been in this field for such a long time. You know, how have you perceived or reacted to these major shifts that have happened in 2020 in the DEI field? What's your perspective on all of that? Yeah, it's been a, an incredible year. One of the things, and, and as I counsel and present and, and talk to, you know, what a part of my role is to advise clients uh, on this work we do at our company, crisis management and transformation and employee engagement in terms of communications. So we spend a lot of time talking to companies about how to navigate um, a lot of the crisis and disruption of 2020. And, and so what we knew for sure before was that this work has been evolving and it had been moving from 
or is being pushed to move from being programmatic initiatives to really thinking about what's sustainable. And so that had been a push. The other thing that had already been a push, and, and my tentpole memory is starting with Orlando Pulse three years ago, four years ago, there, there were events that were happening that led up to where we are today in 2020 in the role that companies and organizations play, the identity that customers and employees feel for the companies and the expectation, the heightened expectation that uh, people have for private sector and, and publicly traded companies and the role that they play and the expectations that they have, not only in social media, but what an employer of choice is and how do they support the communities and how do they support vendors and suppliers. So there's been a confluence of that this year. There is more care in some communities because of COVID and because of COVID inequities have been raised to the surface. So it really has called for us to think about how we're taking care of each other. So that's been a shift in how people think about it. People didn't really understand equity versus equality pre prior to COVID. And my example to bring it to life in a way that everyone could understand is to think about parents and caregivers and, and what we need to do to support that community when we're all expected to shelter in and how the request to shelter in impacts different groups in different ways. And so that's been a gift, an unexpected gift to be able to really bring to light in a way that everyone can connect to around what does equity mean and what does it feel like to, to have inequality. And so the, that's been really super uh, a powerful way to use that as an example. And of course, we all went through Black Lives Matter through George Floyd and the other senseless murders, which has had an impact around the globe. So it's not just a U.S. conversation, it's a global conversation. So that's been hugely transformative in every way imaginable. And so that's required something different of us as, as DNI professionals. But in the midst of that, you know, greater need, greater expectation for fast and swift changes is the reality of the business recession. And so as DNI professionals, we're used to having the luxury of time and space to do research and interviews and, you know, listening sessions and focus groups and, and building a strategy and walking leadership through it and leveraging and asking for budgets for trainings and, and all the other components. But it has really challenged us to step up and, and find creative solutions in the midst of business recessions and, and layoffs and contractions that have been seismic. The expectation and the need to do everything virtually is another, another stretch that we were not prepared for. And then there's our, our own self-care. You know, people that do this work have a lot of passion for it, a passion for people and unity. So it's, been, it's taken a toll on all of us in terms of how we've had to be agile to work with all of different emotions in this space and, and different ways of showing up to keep things alive and present and to manage expectation that everything will be changed immediately and we'll, you know, you know, you can snap your fingers and, you know, we're all uh, inclusive and diverse and everything is, is done. So there, there's a lot of push and pull this year for sure. Absolutely. Thinking about the next 20 years, what do you hope 
DEI looks like? We're going through this major shift right now. What are the outcomes that you hope you'll see in the next 10 or 20 years with all this work that we've been doing um, so far? Sure. My focus is really on what can we do in, in next year and what can we add on in the year after. I am not of the camp that believes that you'll work your way out of this work. Uh, I don't believe that at all. I think change is inevitable. Demographic change, what's needed, what's coming around the corner is something we can't predict. And you really do need that practice and expertise to really be thinking about that, to be able to think about what's sustainable. I'm a big believer in embedding things into systems so that they're sustainable. And so, you know, I expect us to get into some regularity of checking how we think about all of the talent systems. So the habit of, does this make the most sense? What do we need to tweak? What do we need to adjust again? So if we can get into that habit, assuming that we're better managing bias in a much more sophisticated way, not just through technology. I think there's an expectation that AI is going to fix everything. And those that are, are nerdy about that topic knows that that can be uh, tricky and we need to pay attention to that as well, not just as data experts, but just you're very conscious about who is putting information in. And so, yes, we're going to be a lot more technologically, you know, astute around these topics, but human nature is human nature. And so we have to keep our our head focused on what changes humans are, are getting used to and what do we need to tweak to get used to the idea that changes is the constant and really adjusting constantly. Yeah, I think that's really, those are all really important points. We're sensing a shift where I think this year has made a lot of people realize that while programs are important, it, I think we've known this for a while, but I think now it's just like this hard realization that it's going to take a lot more than programs. And we really need to start looking at the systems and the processes and the cultures that are in place. As you said, you can't work your way out of this work. It's a long-term process. So yeah. one, one of the things that I'll, I'll add to that 20 years from now, one of the things that I think everyone looks at is not everyone looks at, but one of the things that comes up when we think about really mirroring the marketplace demographically is the education system, which is, you know, a, a big challenge. So my, my hope is that we're really focusing on, you know, what education is necessary to make and how do we provide better access to that. The bad of COVID is working virtually for the learning systems. The good of it is that it's really putting pressure on access to technology and taking down the walls of what is access and, and who can we reach on a virtual level, on a global level. And so my hope is that in 20 years from now, we're you know creating more equity and access to education because of what we're going through this year and opening it up more so that the educational barriers uh, that have prevented equity when it comes to recruiting and, and keeping talent will be brought down even just a foot, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. We had, we had a conversation with one of our consultants months ago, and she brought up the same issue, how it's time for companies to not just think about the changes they need to make internally, but also what role do they play in making these changes to institutions, which is exactly what you're talking about. I do think that is the next horizon for a lot of companies and organizations. So final question here is what... 
what advice can you give to anyone who's brand new to this field or is thinking about entering this field, our future DEI practitioners or champions? Sure. So, you know, people ask me that a lot. There's a lot of passion around this work and that has been turned up exponentially this year for sure. And one of the things when people even hear me, they're like, oh, you're so passionate about it. And, you know, passion is kind of a table stakes baseline. Yes, passion is critical because it takes a lot of energy to overcome some of the, a lot of the obstacles. But passion is nowhere near enough 10% of the work needed requires that passion. The other 90% as being a practitioner is understanding both the science and the art of it. And so the art of it is really understanding the behavioral psychology of leaders, of organizational systems, because they're living, breathing, changing systems with subsystems and different departments and different offices and understanding the psychology of change and really getting your head wrapped around that aspect of it. One of the things that I loved about LCW is their passionate understanding of intercultural development continuum. That was one of the best investments that I made, really getting certified in that because it helped me navigate all of the different personality types from an organization to a team, to a leader along that spectrum, because we're all somewhere along there and we think we're do better than we really do. So that's one of the the key things. So, you know, the the masters in organizational development was a, a gift that continues to keep giving. Understanding organizational behavior is critical. There are great places to get certifications and learning the basics of of inclusion and diversity, which you have to do. Passion is not enough, but understanding the front line of the business, what the business needs, what the business strategy is, how CEOs think, how CFOs think is critical, just as important as supporting that entry-level talent that just came in. But really understanding it as a business and the psychology of what you're working with And just the baseline, what works? What are the ingredients that you need? Because it is a formula. It's not a thing. It's really a formula that has to bend and move with the nature of that particular culture. So it's a lot of sophistication that people don't think about. They think that, well, I care about this. Something happened to me. So I'm going to enter this space. But it's, it's a science and an art that needs some rigor added to it for sure. That's excellent advice. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for sitting down and chatting with us and sharing all of your insights and your stories and your advice. It's super helpful. And thank you for your continued partnership with LCW. You know, we're so glad to continue working with you and working side by side with you. My pleasure. Just in time is another gift that keeps giving. So I'm always happy to recommend all of the resources from LCW because they're critical to our progress. Thank you for listening. We invite you to continue the conversation with us by heading over to languageandculture.com forward slash insights. There you'll find the full transcript and show notes for this episode. Tell us what you think and let us know what else you'd like to hear about on this podcast. Until next time, thank you again for listening to Culture Moments.